Check me out. Look, I know perfect timing feels like I'm too late. And I know I'm still great in spite of my mistakes. You know it's authentic every rhyme I say. Hey, what's going on, y'all? Welcome to a, another episode of Perfect Time in Multisport. Super excited to bring my guy, Gafty, here to the PTM community hey. to share his story. I actually met Gafty when I moved down here to the district as another member of District Triathlon. You may not know this, but he was a mentor for me when I first came. He was somebody that I definitely looked up to. He's much older than me, as you see by looking at him, right? <laughs> but, but, 65. I, right? But no, I remember, you know, just coming here. It's like, yo, that's somebody I can really connect with, identify with. So really happy to bring him to, to just share his story and share a part of why I thought he was somebody really big in my life. So for folks that don't know you, yeah, tell <laughs> folks what's your, what's your name. Is it Grafty? Is it Grafty? Is like <laughs> yeah, everybody screws my name up. Pepco, Washington Gas. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> oh, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like so, screwed up officially. Oh, yeah. Actually, <laughs> our first tri-suits we ordered, they screwed my name up. And it's like, literally, how do you screw up my name when it's Print it there for you. He just add an R. They're like, no, nah, this nah, can't nah, be nah, right. Nah, this can't be right. It has so, to be grafty, not gafty. <laughs> so thinking about that, and this is kind of random, but like, tell tell us, like, what is the origination of the name? Like, what does gafty mean? So, so originally, it actually is a mess up. So, <laughs> so my grandmother named my father Benny Gaffney. As in Gaffney, South Carolina, Marlowe. And when he was about 18 years old, this is after school, of course, and he joined the military, they pulled his birth records and said, No, son, your name is Gaffney Benny Marlowe. <laughs> And uh, we're going to have to change your name before you join the military. Oh, God. <laughs> and make sure it's, all your records are correct. <laughs> so, he, so, yeah. <laughs> so, at 18, he, he had this name change. Yeah. And now you're, you're here, guy. And I'm Junior. But everyone still calls my father Benny. Yeah. Benny Junior. And actually, I uh, went to a family reunion not too long ago. And apparently, I'm Benny the Third. <laughs> <laughs> who, who knows what his name is at this point? <laughs> so thinking about a family reunion, uh, I know you're here and you grew up in D.C., but where's your family from? So I mentioned, well, I didn't mention earlier. So this was actually in Longwood in a Shalot area in North Carolina where okay. my parents grew up. Um, my father joined the military when he was 18 yeah. and because this was 1964, 65, South Carolina. Wasn't that much for a black man in the South, so uh, he had to get out of there. So mm -hmm. he joined the military, took him to awesome places uh, across the Europe. My sisters were born in um, Illinois and Virginia, and uh, I was actually almost born in Germany. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's another long story, but he didn't want me to be born in Germany because at the time they were having citizenship issues. Yeah. So my mother came mm -hmm. back earlier than he was coming back so I could be born in the United States. Yeah. 
so my citizenship wouldn't have any issues. Hey, I, <laughs> I definitely understand that. Shoot. We've had a few conversations around the citizenship piece with uh, folks that have been here. So yeah. I've, I've learned quite a bit. And, you know, everybody knows my partner is Daniela. She definitely educates me a lot on that space. Um, but now you're, you're here. You're born in the U.S. Um, tell me about your, your upbringing here in the district. Yeah, so... Uh, like I said, my, my father was in the military. Um, his last base was Andrews Air Force Base. Uh, I was actually born on Andrews Air Force Base. Grew up in pretty much the borderline of D.C., Maryland, um, and Temple Hills, Maryland. Went to Crossland High School, uh, which is my alma mater, of course, 2000. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, I, I after graduating from Crossland, I went to Frostburg State University, mm. um, which is, you know, I played a little, I played some sports growing up. Actually, I played basketball growing up. Mm. And in, co- in high school, I played football. But when I got to college, I didn't really dwell in sports. Um, I just did stuff to stay in shape. Yeah. A little simple stuff. Um, so I went to Frostburg, stayed for a year or so, then ended up coming back home, working for a while to save money. I was a broke college student. <laughs> <laughs> my parents didn't pay all my tuition. So <laughs> um, so then I was able to save up some money. And actually, I went to Morgan State, boom, <laughs> Morgan State University uh, to finish my engineering degree, and which was one of the best things for me to transfer to HBCU because, you know, I, I really got the love I needed. I really got the support I needed. Um a lot of the professors were looking out for me to mm. uh, add into their programs and work for them. Right. So I actually was able to get stipends from working for different engineering programs and different uh, stuff. You know, NASA and, and um, Lockheed Martin fund a lot of stuff at Morgan State engineering right. program. So it worked out and you know, graduated and found a great job afterwards. I love that. <laughs> so you mentioned it was important for you to go to an HBCU. Why was it so important for you to do that? Honestly, so, I mean, I did start out at Frostburg. I I would say the difference is growing up in a predominantly black neighborhood and area and going to predominantly black schools all of my life, it's a different experience when you just totally leave that and you actually see the rest of the world. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but um, you have to be a very strong person to understand the difference. And I understood it, and it was good, it was great, but when I, I felt like when I got to Frostburg, it was just, uh, here you go, do your thing, right. versus I felt like I got a little bit more of a, uh, it kind of catered to my needs a little bit more at Morgan, and I feel like the professors had more of a connection with me as a student mm-hmm. versus just looking at me as a number, mm-hmm. I would say. Growing up in these predominantly black communities and in schools, but now you're here and you're at this HBCU. So what was it like to now go from Frostburg to Morgan State? And excuse me, sorry, but where is Frostburg? (laughs) (laughs) I I know. So the longer story is I actually applied to Maryland and Frostburg and Morgan. I went up to Frostburg. They fooled me because it was August. It's nice and sunny. (laughs) So, it just fr- sounds fr- cool. Fr- yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> Frostburg is on the borderline of West Virginia. You drive for three hours and you're still in Maryland, but yeah. you're on that little tip, that little funny little corner. Right. <laughs> so, like I said, I went, I applied to Frostburg, Maryland, and, and uh, Morgan. Yeah. 
Somehow I didn't get an acceptance letter from Morgan, but I got accepted. Eh, that's our HBCU somewhere. Yeah. All right. <laughs> There's some faults. Right. <laughs> Frostburg accepted me instantly, and Maryland accepted me at the last minute after I already signed up for Frostburg. So I ended up going to Frostburg. So um, would you have went to Maryland if you got that acceptance? I, I probably would have went to Maryland because I didn't know that I got accepted to Morgan. So. Well, hey, hey, it's, you know, per- when we talk about perfect timing, right, it's perfect that you, yeah. you did. Yeah, um, I mean, life carves this way out the way it's supposed to be. Prior to your college education and experience, and also during, you mentioned your life as an athlete. So let's take a little bit of time to really talk about your entry to athletics. Growing up, I mostly played basketball. So funny thing, I was actually tall until I got to about ninth grade. Right. So I, I, I actually grew very fast early on. I was like six feet in ninth grade. Mm. <laughs> And then everybody else started growing. They just and kept growing. I stayed at six feet. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to play center. I used oh, to be wow. center. And um, which another interesting thing, I had I had an issue with my knees because I grew so fast one summer. Yeah. I my bones grew faster than my muscles. Whew. So I had to do so like some PT to like, you know, kind of readjust myself. Yeah. Um but yeah, so after Ninth grade, I didn't really play basketball that much. I kind of switched over to football. Okay. Played some running back and fullback and uh, safety. Okay. I did that for about two years, and I'm like, eh, I'm broke. I need to get a job. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not uh, one of those who's pushing for a football career. I need money. (laughs) Yeah, that's real. I'm always curious because we have people from all different ages, all different backgrounds, and trying to figure out how people are applying athletics into their normal life. So I'm curious for you. As an athlete at that such a young age, like what were some lessons that you learned about yourself during that time that you can remember? Back then, it probably wasn't as much as now. Right. Um, with some of the endurance sports that I've done uh, as an adult, but back then, I, I would say I used some of the discipline, some of the discipline you need for a sport uh, in order to move forward. Mm. I also worked, so I kind of had discipline in both already. Right, right. I wasn't one of those kids that kind of just ran freely. I, I, I was kind of, I started working at 14 too, so it's like, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm 65 now. But. <laughs> <laughs> so thinking about some of those like early jobs and odd jobs, like, yeah, yeah tell us about that. It's, it's learning about, I mean, so I worked at an Italian restaurant in Iverson Mall. <laughs> Most people know who's from the area, Mama Lucia. I worked there through through high school and and that, that helped me develop some of the, the skills of, of adulthood, you know, just, mm. I mean, I, I was still going to school, but working and, and actually utilizing those funds for things, you know. Yeah. And that money went to, you know, I actually wanted to, I needed, I wanted to drive, you know. Right. So that, that funds went to that, you know, I didn't just party on and driving, but I actually used that to go to work and to do other things mm. that were useful. Mm. Okay. I love that. So thinking about that work ethic, right? Not only how did it apply and how did you transition as you went to Frostburg, but how did it continue to um, be beneficial as you went to Morgan State? So once I got to Morgan, I actually met a professor, Dr. White, who was the head of the engineering department. Right. And just doing like small things for him. Mm -hmm. I guess he saw my skill set and my drive and kind of like the structure that I had. Yeah. So he literally let me run his whole recruitment program. 
Wow. I mean, I'm one of his students, so I mean, that's kind of the reason I knew a little bit about Philly because I used to drive. I had two schools in Philly. Mm-hmm. I had one school in New York, and I had the uh, the rest of my schools in the D.C. metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. Um, so Philly, I had girls mm-hmm. high school over there by Temple, and um, I can't think of the name of the other one now. It's been so long. Is it Central? Not Central. I think it was Central. But yeah, I, you know, one of the crazy things I was so impressed by girls' high school too when I went there. Okay. Because I mean, because they're they're valedictorian and, and one or two kids schools go to the top schools in the country. I mean, right. That, that was that was crazy. I mean, not crazy, but it, it was just great to see. Yeah, especially um, right there in the middle of the city, right? Definitely. Yeah, so he let me run his program. His he called we called it a feeder program, pretty yeah. much, to recruit high school students mm-hmm. uh, who were good candidates to come to HBCU and have the same ideas and same needs that, that I, I realized I had once I got there. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, it, un- unfortunately, you know, students are taught the great things about HBCUs right, from society. Yeah. And, you know, even when you think about sports, like, you know, it wasn't too maybe 20, 20, maybe 30 years ago that all the top students, mm-hmm. athletes, all came from HBCUs. They weren't getting these high-dollar scholarships from these major schools because they want these these top kids to play for them. <laughs> remember watching the uh, ESPN documentary, seeing how powerful like the HBCUs were from the football space. Then when people realize, all right, if we want to be competitive, we need to actually go out and recruit. Yeah, we need these other students. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, definitely want to talk a little bit more about that later. When we, yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about a little bit more about that later. So definitely stay tuned. So I know you you stopped pursuing athletics or being as athletic during your time in college, but like I said, we know each other through district triathlon. So talk about. How did you reintroduce athletics into your life post-college education? Yeah, so I've always kind of ran three miles here, six miles there, mm. you know, just to stay in shape. Why, though? Like, who does that? <laughs> like, running so, was so just honestly, never a thing for me. So, uh, so, uh, so I, I will say, you know, what? my sister ran track. My okay. older sister ran track. And I guess that kind of gave me the bug. Got it. Makes um, sense. But I also, I, I love warm weather. So it's like, I, I don't know, it's, it's something about being in hot weather and sweating is like an in in endorphin to me, you know, yeah. to a lot of people, really, you know. Um, but that really drove me to like get out in the spring, summer, yeah. get a couple of miles in, you know. I wasn't biking then, I, I just only ran, you know. Mm-hmm. And then one of my coworkers, well, he ran the Marine Corps Marathon <clears throat> and he talked me into it. Well, Actually, he talked me into my first half, then uh-huh. Marine. So before we get into Marine Corps Marathon, you say talk me into your first half. So yeah, talk about like that first race. What was that first race for you? <laughs> so that first race, I was prepared for, but <laughs> I was seriously over-prepared for it. Like I had, uh, it was supposed to, it was overcast that day. And yeah. I had I had bought a uh, one of those rain jackets from Walmart like the night before. Right. I, I might still have that picture, but I just look horrible. Like I had had on some like long shorts and yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> I just did not look the part except for like I had on some de- I had some decent shoes. I had the I had some Pegasus, which I still pretty like Pegasus. Right. Like Pegasus pretty much. But yeah, I, I remember that photo. It's just like I started finally shedding like midway. 
because <laughs> it takes me a while to get warm. Man, I, I, yeah. I'm always cold. So, yeah. but but in general, I'm like running the photos. Like I have like a shirt off this side, my 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 jacket around my waist because I had to shed so much. It's just <laughs> <laughs> where was uh, the race? This was um, the uh, Woodrow. Wood, no, actually, it wasn't a half marathon. It was the GW Classic. Okay. The Mount Vernon one. Yeah. Uh, so that's actually 10 miles. Yep. Uh, not a half. Sorry. And I don't remember which first half I did, but that was my first uh, actual sign up race, I would say. <laughs> All right. So going through that experience and finishing, like, what did it feel like to accomplish this now official race? Do you remember? remember? It felt, felt great, man, because, you know, when you run for leisure, there's a difference when you run for leisure versus running an actual race right. and pushing yourself. Yeah. And you know, and then you get the bling at the end of the marriage. So, so I know you're like, how many, how many Marine Corps marathons have you done at this point? I'm at, I think, either I think six. Because right. I got my, I got my five, I got my five medal, the before last. So it's okay. either five or six. I gotta look back at them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so if you do five Marine Corps marathon, marathons. They send you a huge patch mm. that say that you're an official member of the Marine Corps Marathon Club. Yeah. So I have that. Gosh, I should have. I should have worn my uh, <laughs> Marine Corps Marathon pullover that Gafty. Um, he like got it customized for me. It was really dope. I, like because they don't come with sweaters. Oh yeah. In, in the past, they didn't come with sweaters. And uh, I remember seeing Gafty at the at the pool, and he had this like zipper. I was like, "Yo, what the hell is that?" He was like, "Oh, just bring it to me. I, I got you." And, yeah, then, and then I'm walking around. Everybody's like, "Oh, how'd you get that?" I'm like, "I got a guy." <laughs> <laughs> so thinking about that and doing now six in a row. First, before talking about why that it's important, but tell us about that first experience. The the first Marine Corps marathon for me was. It's crazy because I felt like I trained the most that year, and then it just all went downhill at the actual marathon. So As I'll go a lot back. Of marathons yeah, do. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go back to my first thing that I always say: I hate cold weather. I'm not a cold weather runner. For folks that don't know, when is uh, the Marine Corps Marathon, and and where is it? So yeah, it is October in DC. And it is, it can be super hit or miss. Yeah. It can, it can be 60 degrees. Uh, okay. I'll say that I ran it five, six, I can't remember five or six times, but regardless, it was 30 degrees. One time I ran it. Wow. It was 50 degrees. One time I ran it. It was maybe 40 or so. It's been in between 75 and 30 <laughs> each time I've ran Marine Corps marathon. And mind you, like I said, I hate cold weather. I PR'd the time it was 75 degrees, and I uh, trained the least that year. Wow. So your body <laughs> just knows. Yeah, it just knows. <laughs> it, it's just like, it's, I'm not cold. I'm not stiff. Yeah. You know, it's warm. I, I just keep going, you know. <laughs> so what is it about that race that makes you want to keep going back? I don't know. Honestly, I, I think it's a great marathon. I mean, it, it, you know, some people say it sucks to keep running around D.C., but, you know, the difference I've seen in marathons is, if you want, if you run a marathon, you want to run a marathon that's a marathon only, and there's no half marathon split off, mm-hmm. especially for your first marathon. I mean, it's just the energy and and sense that you get running it, it's just awesome. I mean, yeah. and 
I mean, I'll even go to I, I ran the, the Athens Marathon in Greece mm-hmm. twice for that very reason. You know, it mm-hmm. didn't take much to talk me into running it the second time because yeah. it's just the same type of race. I mean, it's it's the original course, the original race, you know, the story running from Marathon to Athens and you run through Greece and each town, everybody's out cheering. Yeah. You know, they, the town people in the normal people in the town come out and cheer you on, you know. Mm-hmm. So between Greece, uh, Marine Corps Marathon, or any other, like what would you say is your favorite? Favorite full marathon? Yeah. I actually I would say those two. I mean, it's, I've ran, um, I ran Miami for, I ran Atlantic City a couple of times. But uh, honestly, I, I would say you know, Marine Corps because, you know, it's, I would say Marine Corps because of the crowd. Yeah. And because of the atmosphere. And then Athens because the the love that you get there. And it's just it's just mm-hmm. amazing to see, you know, people hold on to an old tradition and, mm-hmm. you know, the people who live there who are just happy for this thing. Yeah. All right. So I know you're more than a runner. I feel like uh, a LeBron commercial, right? More than an athlete. <laughs> but I know you're more than a runner. But before we transition out of the running conversation, these mar- these marathons aren't the only thing that, are, that you're doing that are just these outrageous and super <laughs> crazy adventures, right? So tell us about some other things that you've done in the running space. <laughs> That's just so, like crazy. So uh, I was talked into doing a speed project uh, <laughs> twice. I, I was about to say, how you going to say talked into it and you did it more than once? So yeah, <laughs> twice, twice, which is uh, a crazy race uh, started by some crazy Europeans who moved <laughs> to America and said, hey, let's start, let's run from LA to Vegas and see how long it takes us with only six people. That only sounds like fun, but yeah. So I think it was the third year we got in. Yeah, I think it was the third year we got in as with District Triathlon. Um, had a, we had a novice group that year, which you could have up to 12, and I think we had eight. The race starts at Santa Monica Pier at 4 a.m., and you run relay the entire time all the way to Vegas. Mm. 360 miles to the Vegas sign. Wow. So you run through night, day. I will say the weather in L.A. at that time, this is in uh, <laughs> April. Yeah, around April Fool's, at the end of March, <laughs> April. Yeah, I know. It's like it's almost like an April Fool's joke to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, the, the weather is actually pretty good, so that's not a bad thing. It maybe get like... 50 at night and, yeah. and then like 60, 70 ish during the day, mm-hmm. 80, except Death Valley. Mm. What is Death Valley? Death Valley is called Death Valley for a reason. Mm. It is extremely hot and extremely dry, and you do not want to get to Death Valley in the middle of the day like we did. Damn. It is so hot that you want to you 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 run on the white line of the highway just to get off of the black because you feel it through the soles of your shoes. Oof. And at that point we broke up our runs to 100 meter dashes. <laughs> I mean, we were running 6 9 miles, 6 miles, 3 here there. Yeah. Nah. 100 meter dash through there. So it was 100 that, meter dash and you get doused with water. So doing that and, and switching it up, switching it up, wasn't that like breaking rules? No. So the rules are as long as you make it on foot. Yeah. Okay. It's a no rules race, although there is one rule. 
which is don't break the law. So <laughs> the rule is, you know, don't break the law, which is like running on the highway and stuff right. like that. But there's no rules race as long as you're actually getting there on foot. Okay. So you not only, as you said, did this once, but you, you were convinced, <laughs> quote unquote, definitely air quotes if you're listening to this on the podcast, I'm putting up air quotes. Um, you did this twice. So what was it about this experience to do it a second time? I don't know. It is, it's, I like to achieve somewhat unachievable goals, which is, I, I don't know, man, you, you, you live once as much as we know. And I've always been somewhat of a, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a travel junkie, first of all, and I, I will drop on a dime to catch a deal and go somewhere that I've never been before. You know, I've skydived before. I've done a lot of things. It's just, I would say for me personally, one thing that has always driven me is my ancestors and to be able to do things that they couldn't do, especially here in America. I mean, me doing things that my parents couldn't do or haven't done. Them growing up in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Mm -hmm. I, I was just sitting here waiting because like that, that may be the spot that we have for the promo video. <laughs> that quote right there is definitely going to be it. And I got to say this so I can know where to go back to. <laughs> <laughs> but thinking about things that your ancestors uh, haven't been able to do and you find yourself doing, I know that going back to the triathlon conversation is one of those things that you are really passionate about because of what you just said. So, yeah, tell us tell us about like your entry to triathlon, why you got into the triathlon sport. Yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> I didn't know how to swim. I was 31 years old and did not know how to swim. And like I said, I travel all the time. And one thing that really bothered me, I went on a trip to Mexico and we stopped midway to um, go on to one of the, the Mayan ruins, Chichen Itza and all that. And we stopped at a cenote. Cenote is, you know, a, a, a void in the earth where water fills up. Okay. Um, and we stopped there and everywhere was jumped in, was able to swim before we went to the other place. And I'm just sitting there on the sideline looking stupid, twiddling Damn. my thumbs. And, you know, that, that kind of lingered with me along with, you know, I, one day I just had a thought and I said, you know what? I travel a lot. I do a lot of random things. You work, for, I, you will work for vacation. Yeah. I, that's my name. We'll work for vacation. I do a lot of random things. I've been on some random raggedy boats before and if that boat went over, would I have survived? And I was like, no. I'm not going to be that one black person who <laughs> dies on this boat that flipped over and everybody else swam 50 meters to safety. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 that really stuck with me. And right. I say, you know what? I'm going to learn to swim by the time I'm 32. And mm. the reason I'm going to do that because I'm going to sign up for a triathlon. All right. <laughs> which I have to learn how to swim. All right, so talk about like that experience of learning how to swim and getting to that first triathlon. Like, what was that like for you? So I, I was able to sign up for adult lessons uh, right. that winter. It was the winter. Uh, oh, yeah, it was winter before, but started taking adult lessons probably like in Decemberish, and my triathlon was the next September. Okay. So I got through like class one, class mm -hmm. two, class three. Felt pretty comfortable. I finally got up to like. 
50 meters, which is down and back. So, so, <laughs> you, I, can, so you can swim to shore <laughs> if that boat tips over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I made it, I made it back to land. Right. <laughs> and then I got up and I said, you know what? I'm going to start swimming in the morning, um, 6 a.m. before work. And I literally swam like three days a week all the way up from, I'll say from February to September. Yeah. Just to, you know, get the, and I was doing a sprint triathlon. And, mm. and so I, I didn't, I, I kind of upped it. I said, you know, I'm not going to do a regular triathlon. I'm going to do an open water triathlon. It's my first triathlon. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I upped it. And I really pushed myself to become confident in the water in order to swim. So what was it like to like finally say, hey, I can do this? Do you remember that feeling of that when you had that sense of accomplishment? Yeah, it, it's crazy because when you first learn how to swim, it's like you struggle, you struggle, you struggle. You can't get past 100 meters. You can't get past 150. Mm-hmm. And then it's like one day it just clicks. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, I'm, I'm swimming. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm breathing without losing my breath. Like right. it's like it's like almost going for a light job. Right. And and you you found a comfortable a comfortable speed and a comfortable motion where it's just like it becomes fluid. Yeah. So thinking about that first triathlon, when uh, when was that and what was that experience like? Oh man, I think I killed somebody. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously. Oh, uh, so that, so going back, actually, one of my homeboys I grew up with. Huh. He actually he knew how to swim, so he kind of like encouraged me through the whole thing. He actually signed up to do that first triathlon with me. So we both went down to Miami. Wow. I did the uh, the short version of the Miami Escape, okay, which is you you leave from uh, Miami, swim out, and swim back. Right. It was funny because you know I, I felt confident, I felt aware, but if, if most people who've done triathlons, you know, you have that all start triathlon. Yeah, you're kicking and punching for like the first, I'll say, hundred meters. Yeah, <laughs> and yes, that that was an eye opener for me because one, I didn't know that was gonna happen, mm-hmm. and two, I was like, I am not gonna drown. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna swim. I grab somebody's head. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, you kick. Like I said, it's kicking and punching for the first hundred meters too. Folks pretty much spread out as you've seen that before too. Were you expecting that, or was that like a complete surprise as you were in? Yeah, the moment? that that was a surprise in the moment. So and how'd you, you know, you just learning how to swim? I know you have this like a this goal that you want to accomplish, but how did you battle through the the fight in those first initial rounds too, that, that to was finish like, the swim? That was like fight or flight. It was either you or me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm gonna live, so I mean. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> I hope you're a stronger swimmer than I am because I'm going yeah. forward. <laughs> oh, man. That's so funny. So I'm curious. You, you want, you're you here in D.C. You're from D.C. And you went all the way to Miami to do this race. <laughs> all right. Why, why didn't you just do one here in D.C.? Yeah, I got a famous line. I've been on the news uh, in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't want to swim. I, I, as you said, I grew up in D.C. Right. I know D.C. War. I will not swim in the Anacostia. All right. <laughs> Unless I'm saving my own life to get out. <laughs> if that boat flips over there, we're just talking about. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to hold my breath the entire swim back to shore. <laughs> All right. I know that you're a member of District Triathlon now, but was uh, that a race that you all did together? 
No, or, so so my very first race, I, I didn't even know anybody from district. I didn't know Marcus, didn't know anybody. Yeah. I, I literally my first race, my my the person that pushed me was my homeboy I grew up with. I mean okay. and that's one of the reasons like I wanted to learn how to swim because, you know, unfortunately minorities, we don't know how to swim. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's a long history of you know, pools not being available for African-Americans in America to yeah. learn how to swim or even have a space to swim. And, you know, I had one black friend who knew how to swim mm-hmm. who kind of, you know, coached me when I said, yeah, I want to learn how to swim. He, he thought it was the dopest thing. Yeah. And, you know, he he, he, he really was my, 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 not my coach, but, you know, my, my cheer squad pretty much. He was like, yeah. man, look, are right, you going to do a triathlon? I'm going to do one with you. That's love. That's love. I definitely love to hear that. So thinking about that first uh, experience when you're doing this triathlon by yourself, can you remember some of the faces that you've seen? <laughs> nah. <laughs> I don't, all I know, when I, I during the swim, I looked for the buoys. Yeah. I didn't care if you were in my way or not. No. I, I I got to the buoy, made that turn, <laughs> looked for the next buoy, yeah. made that turn, then I saw land, and I just swam as fast as I could to uh-huh. get there. Uh-huh. I got out of the water. I felt like I just conquered an army or something. <laughs> I, I, I get it. But thinking about that, right, the conversation that a lot of folks are having right now, and, and we know District Triathlon was created to help increase the diversity in the sport, while we don't want to speak too much on the conversation about diversity in sport. What is something that you remember about that? Was it, I know it was in Miami. So was it like a diverse community or like, what was that? No, I mean, the only other Brown people I saw were uh, Latinos. Like we said, I may have saw, I mean, I could count the black, the actual African Americans or, you know, people uh, darker, you know, dark, as dark as I am right. on my hands, you know. Right. <laughs> so, I mean. All right. So, so now, you know, a year, a few years later, District Triathlon comes into the community. So tell us about, like, why was it important for you to be a member of that community at that time? I know it, it, it was kind of like, you know, what I said about HBCUs. It's just that I had just did my first triathlon. I knew what I overcome to get there and to meet another group of people who are just starting also and say, we're black and we do triathlons too. We're, right. we're pushing this too. I, you know, and meeting Marcus, he's been swimming all his life. So yeah. I'm like, I need to train with you guys, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. you, you, I, I'm, I mean, I'm just learning how to swim. I got past my first triathlon. I need to become stronger. How did the experience change for you once you were introduced to not only Marcus but the district triathlon community? I mean, I had a, I had a community that was that wasn't foreign to me. I, I would say we we have a cool vibe of hanging out, but we can also swim and do things other, you know, right. together. You know, unfortunately, you know, like the the guys I grew up with, they don't know how to swim. So I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's when I work out, I actually appreciate it because some of them try to push to do things now. Actually, some of them yeah. got bikes now, you know, which surprised me. I actually helped two of them get bikes this summer. Yeah, which was really dope, you know, and they asked me biking questions and all that now, and it's kind of, it's crazy, but at that, I'm the one they look up to, but, you know, but it, it's, it, it's, it's part of that, you know, someone you know, someone you would actually hang out with mm-hmm. in a normal basis, 
And they also do these athletic things, which makes it even better. Someone to work out with and push with and you feel comfortable with. Right. So thinking about that, and I know you were helpful to your friends. What are some tips or some advice you can give to somebody that's, you know, listen to this, watching this and they're like, ah, how do I get started? Like, what are some things that you remember from some time ago that could be helpful to someone? Swimming is key, I would say. Yeah. The, the hardest part of a triathlon is swimming. And I would even say even if you are a swimmer, because I've heard you know swimmers say that it's still difficult because even though they're a swimmer, they have to adjust to the other sports, mm-hmm. which are a lot of people come already running and biking and got to learn how to swim. Mm-hmm. But I, I would say really swimming is key, getting hours in, getting comfortable in the water. The first thing I wanted to do was to swim until I was tired and then be able to swim after I was tired. Yeah. That that was my first goal, to be able to swim and be tired, like dead tired. Yeah. And, you know, I was comfortable enough in a pool because I could just get to the edge. But mm-hmm. I wanted to know how it felt to be dead tired and mm-hmm. still maneuver enough to, to move in the water. Because mm-hmm. you can't put your feet down in the ocean and just start walking. Right. <laughs> you still have to move, right. you know. So whoever's listening, you know, no matter where you're at, get in that pool, get comfortable, get out the pool, get moving, and you'll be good to go. Um, so, yes, I definitely appreciate you sharing that, the, that advice to, you know, the folks listening and folks watching. Yeah, what was that distance that you realized that you could go and go until you couldn't and you were tired? Well, when I first started, it was probably about... I was trying to get to the Olympic distance. So, I mean, like everybody else with any sport, you gradually start and work your way up. So, I already knew one day I want to do an Ironman. Like, mm-hmm. that, that's my goal. So, I had to work my way up. And, you know, I've already ran plenty of marathons. I've biked pretty long distances. Mm-hmm. It's just that swimming. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to swim 2.4 miles... Mm. In open water, that, that's, I mean, some people can't run 2.4 miles, you know, it's just, yeah. just think about that distance of yeah. s- just swimming continuously. Like it, it, it's a, it's kind of a scary feeling, a, a scary thought at first, I would say. All right. So for context and folks that, <clears throat> that may not be completely aware, uh, can you give like a breakdown of the, the distances when you say working your way up? Like what is that entry level yeah. and what is that? So end goal. Yeah. So there's what sprint. Yeah, it's about pretty much four levels to triathlon. A sprint, uh, which would be anywhere. It could be a super sprint or a sprint, but the distance of the swim is between about three hundred on the low end to about seven fifty. Some eight hundreds I've seen too. Mm-hmm. Um, then like a twelve mile bike and a three mile run. Um, the Olympic distance is. Uh, I can't remember this one. Yeah, one. It's like a little, little under a mile swim, mm-hmm. um, twenty-two mile bike, twenty, twenty, it's twenty-something mile bike, um, and then a six-mile run with ten k, mm-hmm. um, a half or a half Ironman. You do a one point two mile swim, a fifty mile bike, and then a half marathon afterwards. And then fifty-six a, mile bike. Yeah, sorry, fifty-six. Yeah, give people those six miles. <laughs> Then a full marathon is 2.4 mile swim. Right. 
112 mile bike and then a full marathon afterwards. Gosh, and you've done the full marathon. Yeah, I've done the full marathon. I'm sorry. I've done plenty of full marathon. You've done a full Ironman. Yes, I did a full Ironman about two years ago now. Yeah. Yeah, about two years ago. So what was that experience like going back to Speed Project, right? You, you've doing, you're doing these crazy adventurous <laughs> things. Um, and I'm saying it as if I haven't done a full Ironman. <laughs> Let me just pat myself on the back and myself my own credit, exactly. right? But like, what, what, why did you, like, what was, what, what was the sense of, of like, just how'd you feel when, once you accomplished this, such a huge goal? I don't know. It's just so, I had these goals in mind. And, you know, actually, I did something a little crazy when I did my half, too, because Farron and I did the half in uh, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And then this was the year prior. Did a half Ironman in North Carolina, got in my car, ate a whole pizza driving back to D.C. and ran Marine Corps that morning because they were like the day after each other. <laughs> so I think after doing that, I said, yeah, I can do an Ironman next year. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. I was like, yo, this dude is crazy. But if you got you got goals, you got plans, and you're planning pretty terribly. I'm sure if he remembered, if he like understood what he was doing, yeah. he probably. I'm, I hope he wouldn't have done it. Yeah. But he signed up for the Speed Project two times, so he could just be one of those kind of people. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, so going to the Ironman, like it, it, it was, it was. I would say it was a beautiful experience gaining up to it because yeah. I was always comfortable comfortable on the you know doing the bike distance. We've done it a couple of times, yeah. biking a century or so. Ran plenty of marathons, but I I had the same focus on the swim as I did when I first did my very first triathlon. Mm-hmm. I mean that summer. I went. I made sure I went to Banneker every Friday mm-hmm. and swam as much as I could down and back. It's an Olympic sized pool. Mm-hmm. You don't have to flip every five seconds, <laughs> so <laughs> so you can go down and back and do a hundred. You know, and if you're doing four thousand meters, it makes a big difference when you got to flip every twenty five versus fifty. So yeah, and and then that first time I actually did four thousand in the pool, it's just like. All right. You know, I, I was tired, but I felt awesome. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you feel like you're Superman. <laughs> yeah, definitely understand that. Um, so uh, thinking thinking about, you know, you finishing this Ironman distance, I'm sure you're like motivating and encouraging folks, especially in the district triathlon community where it is filled with majority of black and brown people. So how, does this, how did it feel and like what sense of, um, I guess, mentorship did you come back with our gain after completing this and how did you help other people accomplish goals in the future it, it's kind of crazy because you know it's there's a lot of brown athletes black and brown athletes right i mean with amazing skills and it's just it's just not that's not the focal point in you know in this society or whatever the case is mm-hmm. i mean you, you think about I, I, another example is is soccer mm-hmm. football and soccer you know Throughout the world, I mean, black and brown people will dominate in that, right. but not in America because America is not you know, a big place for soccer, mm-hmm. you know, or football. I mean, you, you know, prime example. I mean, France won the World Cup. Mm-hmm. 
eighty percent of the team were Africans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean, it, the skill is there right. for it's just it's just where it's catered for kids growing up, yeah. and you know if if the opportunity was there for you know more kids to or just just the thought, mm-hmm. you know, what took me back was to think about you know why didn't I learn to swim. Mm. It's not that, I mean, my parents, I mean, I grew up pretty middle class. It's not that my parents, and, and a pool was up the street. Mm-hmm. It's not that, you know, my parents probably didn't, you know, it's not like they didn't want me to or anything. It's just that when you think about it, you know, it's not a part of the, the lifestyle that my parents grew up with, my sisters, so it became not my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And you think about my parents born in 1946 in North Carolina, they pretty much escaped the South just to get opportunities in, in the world. Mm-hmm. And then think about, you know, just pools and lifestyle in general for 40s, 50s, 60s through 70s. There was no real pool access for African-Americans. So thinking about that pool, pool and leisure swimming and a lot of leisure things aren't a lifestyle for African-Americans mm-hmm. because they are, we don't have time for leisure. Mm-hmm. Or we don't have the opportunity for that leisure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so going back to me accomplishing something like that and being able to talk to other African-Americans or other brown people or in general, they see certain things are obtainable mm-hmm. or certain things are normal mm-hmm. and not outside of the norm for them as a person. Right. Like I mentioned, my friends who now bike, mm-hmm. we didn't bike since we were little kids and now they're adults and wanting to bike yeah because they saw me doing it they saw me doing long distance biking and, and races and stuff right. and now it seems normal to them again mm-hmm. and then add in the fact that we're wearing spandex in the process of doing <laughs> <it>. <laughs> no, but, but I'm, I'm really glad you you know you brought that up and i really appreciate the way that you articulated it and thinking about 2020 and just just life in general unfortunately and for whatever however you want to describe it but especially in 2020 we've seen quite an uprising and around around black lives and black lives matter so i'm really curious like thinking about this year how has this the national uprising around black lives um shown up in your spaces whether it's professional personal or athletic and or athletic i so personal, I I feel like I've gotten to a point where I can use where I'm at to say something or do something. And I've personally taken the stance that I don't take crap from people at work or outside of work. Yeah. If you're out of line, I'm I'm gonna bring it up. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take it in and kind of let it go. I, I'm bringing it up. It's, it's coming. It's coming to the forefront. Mm-hmm. You say something wrong, you're out. I mean, I, I, I'm going to bring it up. Yeah, I'm going to say it. I'm going to, going to uh, confront it and because it's an issue. You mm-hmm. should not get away with that. Now, that's personal in, in work life, but uh, you mentioned, you know, even in, in athletics. Um, in athletics, I think, you know, some, some organizations and companies are, are waking up, whatever they want to call waking up, to realizing what's been going on in America for the past hundreds or so years, you know, and which is unfortunate because I hate the fact that things are kind of swept away and kind of like, you know, brushed over. And that's the problem because when things are swept away and brushed over, 
people forget. People forget that, you know, I, I just had a conversation with you and talking about my parents. You know, people don't realize that it wasn't a long time ago that these injustices happened. These are mm-hmm. my parents, people who birthed me. <laughs> mm-hmm. my, my sister was born the day before Martin Luther King was shot. And I remind my little nephew of that. Mm-hmm. My nephew's in college now. And I, I told him, I was like, to remind you how short things are not, are, are, how short things are from being, you know, now. Mm-hmm. You're, and I remind him when his mother was born. And I remind him that's also the same year of Fair Housing Act. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years before that, we got rights as citizens of the United States. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I definitely appreciate that. And I know you're a person that's like really vocal, whether it's social media or just, again, within your personal communities. Uh, with bringing up these conversations and having these very, couldn't be uncomfortable conversations with people. Like, why is that? so important for you to bring these things up and then also on the other side why is it so important to make sure that you're supporting and funding the folks that are in the black and brown communities i i I, like i kind of mentioned earlier like things should not be swept away right or kind of brushed over because people don't want to talk about it or because it's it's a, a harsh topic for you like it and and like i keep going back to this because you know, when when the narrative comes up, it's always made to seem as if it was so long ago. Right. And it's not. You know, you think about, a gen, you know, just prime example, 2019 was a an, big anniversary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you think about 1865 when blacks were freed as well. Right. You know, a little over 150 years ago. That's two lifespans. Yeah. I can literally go down the line and name all my my grandfathers mm-hmm. to my great great grandfather who mm-hmm. was actually a slave. Yeah. <laughs> so thinking about where we are, and you just mentioned in the past, or I'm sure it's still being brushed over. But looking forward, yeah. like what would you like this year? What would you like to see as a result of? the things we all had to go through this year. I I would like to see some changes finally. I mean, not, and not just, you know, people put in positions and organizations just to have them in that position or just say, Oh, we hired some black people to be in this position or be a part of our recruitment organization for the the company or, Mm -hmm. you know, all these miscellaneous things that are said, you know, when you're just trying to check a box. You know, if you really want inclusion, you know, I, I feel like we should. Do, there are enough of us doing things now mm-hmm. that either we can demand inclusion or just say screw it and have our own. Right. I mean, it, it kind of when you go back to it, a lot of black organizations and companies were strong when they were fully supported by black organizations and black people because they could not go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You think about it, there were a lot of black hotels and, and beaches and everything. Even think about throughout the East Coast. Mm-hmm. They were supported because minorities couldn't go to other places. So these places thrived until minorities were allowed to go other places. Mm-hmm. Same thing with HBCUs. And when I talked about sports earlier, yep. these schools had all the great athletes. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Not saying they don't have great athletes now, but they had all the top great athletes who were all recruited until you know they were allowed to go to some of the other schools because mm-hmm. they wanted to compete as well, and they wanted these athletes. Yeah. Thinking about that, segregation, uh, desegregation didn't <laughs> happen because, you know, people wanted to be nice. It happened because people wanted to be competitive and make money. Exactly. Um, and win. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely something to be mindful of. Uh, but as we talk about, like, athletics, and we, you just spoke about what you would like to see from the things and the conversations that are being had, bringing it back to, like, the athletic landscape, what would you like to see as a result of these conversations that are being had? What would you like to see in the future, whether it's your personal spaces through, let's say, right, district triathlon, other communities that you're a part of? What does your crystal ball say for these spaces that you're in in the athletic space? My crystal ball setting, um, you know, we, we've done some great things as a minority triathlon club. Um, we've, we've gotten some acknowledgement for that. Um, what I would like to see is more support so we can expand that to the younger generation. Because it's, it's, it's kind of hard to be the forefront without being able to build from behind. I mean, we can go out and, and preach all we want, but if there aren't facilities for kids to do these things or, you know, it, it, first of all, it, triathlon is an expensive sport. It's, it's hard to just jump out there and say, I'm going to do triathlon. So, I mean, what, what I always said is one of the greatest things we could all do for the minority community is swimming. Mm-hmm. Swimming is key. And swimming is number one. Just being able to get out there and not play in the water, but to actually swim. That's what I will push for. And, that's, and also outside of the sporting, the actual direct triathlon sporting ranges kind of what I mentioned earlier, I would love to see more athletes go back to HBCUs yeah, right. and, and, and see what, what happens to the so-called nor- notoriety that right. schools get. I definitely agree. So uh, knowing that you're on the board now, like what are some visions that you have for um, District Triathlon going against 2021? I would like us, I've mentioned before, but I, I would like us to go back to uh, kind of a, a fluid fluid relationship with ourselves and our partners in the DC area right um, as well as you know reach out reaching out to kind of a younger generation I mentioned before I'm, I'm aging <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and and to be honest with you you know the funny thing about triathlons is the prime age for a triathlete is like 33 34 yeah <laughs> it's not like it's not like college or anything like a prime and and that, that kind of speaks to how much triathlons cost equipment price you know you have people unless they got money when they're young they're peaking into a sport when they're able to afford it right <laughs> which which speaks a lot yeah <laughs> yeah so if we can like be able to, to create opportunities, create relationships and communities so people can be a part and peak much earlier, right? It's only yeah, beneficial yeah, to, yeah, exactly, to us all. Exactly. Right. So thinking about, you, you've definitely been through a lot and learned a lot as an athlete, as a person. Since we are here in the PTM space, I'm really curious, mm-hmm. what has athletics taught you as a person? It has taught me perseverance. 
and just giving me an avenue to to be strong, I would mm. say. I've done some long distance enduring stuff. I mean, you have to be mentally strong to do those things and you don't realize how mentally strong you have to be until you do it. In order to do a full Ironman, honestly, like that that's tougher than doing speed project because speed project, I got a chance to rest while somebody else was running. You're doing an Ironman, you're 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 moving for 15, 18 hours moving and you're fueling while you're still moving. You're eating while you're still moving. You got to manage your eating while you're in drinking while you're moving because that's all a balance too. If you don't mm. drink enough, you're going to dehydrate prior to you being able to get more fluid in your body. Like all of these calculations and just having the mental capacity to, to maintain that while you're moving, <laughs> yeah. moving. Yeah, that perseverance is definitely key. Definitely appreciate you sharing that. Guess transitioning more into some lighter questions and some <laughs> rapid fire questions. The first one I definitely want to start off with <laughs> is you were saying as far as the hydration piece, like during the race, uh, what is something that you like to hydrate yourself with? So I, I've, I've switched around to various things and, and you know, We've had a, a sweat test with a company leveling. Yeah. And, you know, one thing people should really learn is your, how much you sweat yeah. and what you lose. Right. And, you know, I took a sweat test and mine came back as severe, which <laughs> I pretty much already knew because I run a marathon. My face is white. I have just salt yeah. in, in all over my face. So I lose a lot of salt and sodium. I think I would lose like 400 milligrams of salt and sodium an hour. Like my, my, my records were severe. So, and when I get ready for a race, um, I kind of salt up the days prior mm -hmm. and that came from me learning from that salt, that sweat test, um, and taking some of the leveling product and right. seeing, um, what works for me best. Like I, I, water does not work for me because it doesn't have the other nutrients in it that I'm losing. Yeah. Um, so Right now, I've pretty much been been pretty good with using Gatorade powder. Okay. Um, that way, I can concentrate it and make it stronger. Right. Uh, and it's not watery, so it, it get I get a lot more sodium and salt than a typical Gatorade. Okay. And I definitely apologize. That was a terrible question to ask or a <laughs> rapid fire question. <laughs> I'm like, damn, show sure supposed to be quick. I know. He's I went, still into, going. I went into detail. No. My bad. <laughs> But more of a rapid fire question. Yeah, rapid fire question. You got to answer them jokes quick, yo. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Because uh, that that was definitely really important information. I'm glad you know you deviated and took took and did what you needed to do because people need to know that. Um, but for a rapid fire question, before a race day, like what is something that you like to eat? Pizza. Pizza. All right. What That's kind always of my go-to. What's your kind? Of, what's your like go-to kind of pizza? Uh. Thick crust because get the dough, the carbs. Yeah, and and I don't eat it at the last minute. I start during the through the day. All right, kind of space it out. Makes sense. So thinking about a big workout, race day, like what are you waking up and eating? The morning of the race. Morning of the race. Granola bar and a banana. No matter what distance. Uh, granola bar, banana. All right, that that makes that's sense. Been, that's been me. <laughs> like no matter the distance, I'm like a half a bagel with peanut butter and some banana, and I just snack on that. So I get it. How about after a race? How are you celebrating? 
<laughs> Beer at the finish line. Beer at the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody know me, they see me with my beer at the finish line. <laughs> All right. So what's your favorite type of beer to drink? Uh, depending on time of year. So if it's a fall race, I'll take a lager. If it's a summer yeah. race, I'll take a light beer. All right. So <laughs> it makes sense. It makes sense. How about, I know you can't listen to music during triathlons, but you do a lot of running. So do you listen to music when you're running? So I, I used to a lot, Yeah. Um, but I, I've trained myself to not. Just right. for preparing for for Ironman and, and triathlons. Got it. See, I thought he was about to go into the story. I'm like, yo, this is a rapid fire question. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about that. So I was like, ah, nah, gotta be like, fast. Cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the last rapid fire question. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, y'all. If you had to marry one, kiss one, kill one, <laughs> swim, bike, run, what would it be? <laughs> marry the bike. Uh, no, yeah, damn, where the bike? Kiss the swim, probably kill the run. All right, kill the run. You do all these marathons and speed project, but now we know I'm, I'm, that makes I'm, sense. I'm getting closer to forty, so so the run's not as fun. That's real. <laughs> <laughs> That's real. And uh, the question that we like to ask everybody, no matter how we're engaging with them, is how do you define the perfect athlete? The perfect athlete, I, I would say. A person that is comfortable with what they're doing, you can say the perfect athlete, somebody who's killing it, but you're not perfect unless you're able to kill it without being injured and all these other things that that ailments that stuff that come along with being an athlete. Okay, so just having that comfort level, I definitely love that. Um, and before we wrap up and get into thanks and shout outs and all of the things, right? Uh, is there anything, any lasting words any that we didn't get to that you want to share or get off your chest with the uh, community? Um, I would say man, I stick with my favorite, man. I, I really, really, really would love for every person to learn how to swim. It is that much important. You know, finally learning how to swim myself, it, it's almost heartbreaking every time I see a drowning incident. Mm-hmm. You know, or a boat capsized and two people didn't survive because they didn't know how to swim. You know, right? It, it, it's 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 almost avoidable. Yeah. Oh, appreciate that. Such an easy thing to get out and do if you you know put the time in, like after you said and did. Just do the work, right? Yeah. Um, like many things. Um, but. If folks want to continue this conversation, like how can folks continue uh, connect with you, whether it's social media or <laughs> any other platforms? I can. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, like Ship said, I'm, I'm a member of District Triathlon. Uh, um, we have our, our website, uh, districttriathlon.com. I'm on Instagram. Just will work for vacation, which is probably pretty easy to find. <laughs> um <laughs> And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm usually biking and running through the streets when it's warm outside. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know Gaffney, he loves, he hates the cold, like you said earlier. So when it's warm, it's going to be like, well, yeah, we're recording this, and it's like 60 degrees yeah, yeah. this weekend. So you may be out yeah. this weekend. It'll be 60 tomorrow, but unfortunately, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a grown man, so I'll be changing my oil. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Way too much of doubting. <laughs> but uh, as always, like, definitely appreciate everybody listening. Oh, yeah. um, you know, 
uh, before I get into thinking of partners, none of this would be possible. None of this would be worth it without everybody that's supporting however you're doing that. So thanking to you. Um, but partners are super important. <laughs> so thank you to all the partners. Daniela, she's sitting behind the camera. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure she she's been messing up. Like she skipped out. She went to a workout the last episode. I had to figure this out by myself, y'all. <laughs> so she's sitting here looking at me for the shout outs. Let me make sure I highlight her when she's doing good and when she messing up. Let's talk about that. <laughs> no, but shout out to Daniela. She's always great. Um, but Thinking about the partner, shout out to Walls Caps. Gotta get you a cat. Uh, shout out to Aftershocks. Shout out to um, Philly Bike Expo, Urban Athletic Club. And last but not least, shout out to Athletic Brewing Company, the non-alcoholic bear that got the hate. I love, <laughs> we love, everybody love. <laughs> Pay my bills. I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't say it doesn't taste good. It's just that. After running 26 miles, I don't want the alcohol beer. So it's just my preference. That's true. That made nothing wrong with it. It tastes good, though. All right. All right. I ain't paying to say that, but I will say <laughs> check in the bell. <laughs> uh, but as always, look, appreciate y'all being here again. I can't say that enough. And looking forward to continuing to share these stories and build this community uh, with and for you guys. So Definitely. let's keep it going, y'all. Peace. Peace.